Hello, and welcome to Songs for the Struggling Artist, the blog cast. This is Emily, and uh, I am... It would be funny if there were someone else that were here suddenly. That would be so, like, fun, actually. Somebody else want to host the podcast sometime? You could read the blog. Anyway, If let me know, because that'd be... That'd shake things up, wouldn't it? <laughs> anyway, hello and welcome, and thank you so much for listening. Um, today's blog is out of order. Uh, not in the sort of uh, British way of saying out of order. It is just out of order in terms of when they got published. Um, there is a, a, a previous um, blog that I am going to record for the podcast um, that is in waiting, not because of the blog itself, but because this is the news. I got a ukulele for my birthday, um, and it is super fun. I, it's so funny because, like, if you'd said, Emily, do you want a ukulele? I'd be like, eh, it's all right. I'm good. Uh, but now that I have a ukulele, I think it's the greatest thing ever. <laughs> um, so it's, uh, yeah. So I'm learning a couple songs on the ukulele. And that's why this one is late as well, uh, because I want to be able to um, put the ukulele songs here on the podcast. Um, and the other one, the the it's going to be for the blind submission um, blog, is uh, in process because not only am I learning it, but I am going to have a special guest on the podcast song on the song for the podcast. I don't know what to call it. Uh, anyway, it's not going to be just me. Um, it's super fun. I'm having a really great time uh, getting that song organized for you, but it's going to take a little minute because it's not just me. So um, so that's why that one is in reserve. It is coming. It just requires some organization and some practice, which is what is happening over here. And it is good times. I wish you could be a fly on the wall. Um, however... That one is not yet arrived, and what we'll have today is another ukulele song, which I am um, doing by myself, so it's a little bit easier to get to you um, quickly. Uh, I'm still not a master of the ukulele. I have not even had this thing a week yet, so um, it, it's not like I, I'm not a great ukuleleist yet. Perhaps I will be. I don't know. Uh, so yeah, that's coming, um, at the end of this podcast. Meanwhile, this podcast was inspired by, uh, some shows I saw and a movie I saw. Um, I very, uh, fortunately got invited to go and see the whole Harry Potter sequence, um, a few, maybe a month ago at this point. Uh, anyway, so th this, I had a response, of course, because of course I did. Um, but, but yeah, you'll hear all about it in a moment. Uh, so here it is, actually. That moment is, has arrived. And, that, and here this is the blog. It is called Harry Potter and the Hangover. We watched The Hangover one night when it seemed like a couple of dumb laughs might be just the remedy for the world's cruelties. A couple of dumb laughs were about all we got out of it in the end, and half of them were from us, about what extraordinary stereotypes all the killjoy women were. We cracked ourselves up, adding lines. That no-fun bride is mad we lost her fiancé right before her wedding. God, women are so annoying. 
My friend could not get over how conventional and conservative it was. It seems like it's this crazy, harebrained tale of wild excess. But in the end, I don't think this needs a spoiler alert. Really, all that happened is that the guys got super drunk and gambled. Sure, they also stole a tiger and one of them got married, but the crazy things were all sort of socially fine. All sexual behaviors were within appropriate Hollywood bounds. That is, they ogled and groped the strippers, but didn't have sex with them. Even the one who got married to a stripper only cuddled with her. It was a crazy night in Vegas, for which there was always a sort of reasonable explanation. When it's all over, everyone could return to his conventional suburban life without incident. It's just a little release for a couple of days in Vegas. The most transgressive thing that happened, really, was that Zach Galifianakis's character carried a purse and was not bothered about its not being manly. It made me think about one of the theories of comedies that I studied in college. The Hangover wants to be one of these pastoral comedies where the protagonists go into the woods and lose all social convention and then can return to their more conventional lives with new information, having shifted what may have previously seemed unshiftable. Rosalind has to go into the Forest of Arden dressed as a boy to get the man she loves, and by the time she's done, the rightful duke has been restored to the throne and four marriages have been performed. The hangover apes this sort of structure and that four guys go into the woods, Las Vegas, and by the time they emerge, one of them is broken up with his abusive girlfriend. Otherwise, everyone's lives are pretty much the same. There's no real release in this release comedy. Back to the suburbs, everyone. Until the next time we get drunk. Conventional. Conservative. Which brings me to the Harry Potter play. Harry Potter and the Cursed Child is a lot better a play than The Hangover is a movie. It's funnier, too. But like The Hangover, it is remarkably conventional and conservative. There are a lot of reasons this is surprising. One, it's about magical people with magic powers in a magical land. They could be so much more interesting than us. Two, It was made by some of the most skilled creative theater makers we have. Three, the author of the books and the story on which the show is based is in a position wherein she does not need the money or the prestige from this show. She can afford to take some risks that the rest of us might not. And yet. And yet. Now, before I break down how, why this show is conventional and conservative, I want to acknowledge some of the ways it was successful for me. Number one, cape choreography. Note to my theater-making self, all future set changes will now require cape swirling. It is a very satisfying way to disappear a chair. Two, whatever that time shift tech was, it blew my mind. If I'd seen it on screen, I'd have thought nothing of it, but on stage, it was miraculous. Three, it is no small accomplishment to keep an audience interested for over five hours of theater. Four, the staging was A+. Likewise, the design performances were on point. If you're going, I think you'll find something of merit. 
It's a better time in the theater than a lot of things I see. However, fundamentally, it is the story of a father and son who just don't seem to understand each other. This is perhaps the most common story in the Western canon. Honestly, plays about fathers and sons trying to negotiate their differences are the top of the most produced stories. And in this case, there really wasn't even any clear reason for this difference between father and son. It seemed to be just that Harry Potter's son got sorted into Slytherin and wasn't as popular as his dad. That's it. At the heart of the play is just a difference in... fraternities? The other important relationship in the play is the friendship between Potter's kid and Malfoy's kid. They're best friends. And even though the play sometimes hints that there may be more there, it never allows these two boys to actually be gay, or even entertain the possibility. It feels like the whole time, cranky old middle-aged Harry Potter is just reacting to his son's gayness without his son ever actually being gay. A play like this has the potential to open up worlds of possibility, and it pretty much just said, nah. They're two best friends who fight through time and space to stay together, but they're just best friends. And you know, I'm hip to that sort of story too, for sure. My best friendships are really important, and I like the idea of a play about that sort of dedication, but I didn't buy that in this story. I felt like they were gay, and the writers just didn't want to talk about it. They didn't want to alienate the anti-gay Potter fans. Conservative. Conventional. Also, this was a man's story all the way through. Sure, we had a few women in it, but we basically had an old conventional daddy issue play with some magic tricks. All the women were sidelined. Hermione was particularly hung out to dry. Despite having the most prestigious job in the magical world, she can seemingly get no one to listen to her and is constantly interrupted by men. In an alternate timeline, spoiler, there's time travel, she has become a nasty old maid spinster teacher stereotype just because she failed to marry a man she loved. Oh boy. It's only the love of a man that keeps a witch from turning into a mean old witch, apparently. Conventional. So conservative. Listen, if your play has the ability to travel in time, why not entertain truly exciting other possibilities? You don't have to hop from one conservative timeline to another. There has to be some timeline where things can be truly shocking and maybe even queer in more ways than one. I'm 100% sure that there is some very daring fan fiction in this vein, and how I wish I'd seen even a hint of it in this production. It is interesting to see a play that has such a long reach of a following. The generation behind me grew up on Harry Potter, and the commonality of experience they have around it is extraordinary. There's nothing like it from my childhood. The amazing thing about making a play about a series of stories that everyone knows is that everyone's an insider. 
It is actually very exciting to be in a room full of people who are so pumped up and so uniform in their responses. Any references to the characters or events in the book get giant responses from the audience. It's the, I know what you're talking about, laugh. I mean, just a mention of Neville Longbottom drew applause from the audience. He makes no appearance in the play, but he got applause anyway. It's like a band playing a phrase from their hit song in the middle of a new one. I guess it's bound to be a hit. There's no real risk there. And speaking of phrases from a hit song, almost all of the music in The Cursed Child was actually bits of the instrumental tracks of Imogen Heap's hit songs. Now, I love Imogen Heap. I want her to make all the heaps of money she'll get from being the composer of this show. But it seems to me they just used her instrumental tracks from their early movement rehearsals and just decided to keep them. That's not so much composing as recycling old hits in a new remix. And that's sort of what this show was. A recycling of old hits in a new frame. Using theatrical techniques pulled from more experimental works to tell a conventional story with a recycled soundtrack. I mean, it was a reasonable day in the theater. It knew what it was doing and made use of some of the best theatrical tricks in the book. But it made me think of The Hangover. So, in part, this post was inspired by how hilarious I thought the idea of Harry Potter and The Hangover would be. Just like, if, if that were in fact a Harry Potter book written by J.K. Rowling. Like, <laughs> I was imagining, you know, book eight of the Harry Potter series, Harry Potter and the Hangover. <laughs> uh, yeah, so sometimes things are inspired. I mean, also, I, I fully plan on talking about Harry Potter and possibly also the Hangover. So it wasn't like I came up with a silly title and then decided to write a post. It was like both of those things were already coalescing. And then I just cracked myself up multiple times with the idea of a book called Harry Potter and the Hangover. A book I would read, by the way. I would read that book. I would. <laughs> I would go see that show also. So, so there you have it. Uh, yeah, so um, the, the song here is going to be Imogen Heap because, of course, it has to be, right? Because I, I name-checked her in this post. Um, and what can I say about it? So the, <laughs> here, here's one of the things, that I, I, there, there wasn't really a space for this in this post, but um, I, I, I don't know if you've seen this show, but, um, you know, it's like it's a Harry Potter thing. There's, it's kids, it's high school, it's, they're having adventures, they're doing things. And, um, and, and meanwhile, like, the soundtrack are all songs that I know, and, like, when I hear the music of, I start to sing the lyrics to, and the lyrics don't, like, they just didn't match up with what was going on on the stage. So, you know, it's like, I think they assumed that most people don't know Imogen Heap's music. So, like, they're like, this is fine, whatever. So so what if this song is a little bit about stalking? We, uh, is, It'll go great with this, you know, running sequence. <laughs> um, 
so so anyway, like I'm listening to the words in my head while they're just playing the instrumental tracks, and it was very distracting from the show. I mean, for me, it was like a little bit like if, um, let's say you took all of the vocals out of Michael Jackson's Beat It. Meanwhile, you know, you're hearing the music and you're thinking, singing to yourself, beat it, just beat it. And like, meanwhile, it's like a love scene that's happening on the stage. And it's just like it creates a creative cognitive dissonance, um, which is which was much of my experience of (laughs) Harry Potter. Um, Again, not really a place for it within the context of this blog, but I can tell you this is the podcast extra (laughs) where I break down how weird it is to hear some of your favorite hit songs uh, performed to choreography. Yes. But uh, that said, I I decided, okay, well, then I should maybe do an Imogen Heap song since I name-checked her. Um, and I was trying to figure out what to do and how to do it. And, and then I got this ukulele. So um, so what I'm going to do here is uh, Imogen Heap's Good Night and Go, the music of which was featured in Harry Potter uh, without the vocals. Um, and I'm going to give you mostly the vocals because the ukulele is a lovely, delightful instrument, but it doesn't provide quite, a, it doesn't, it's not like a lot of instrumental accompaniment. Um, so in a way, I'm sort of doing the opposite of the Harry Potter experience with this very same song that is featured in Harry Potter. Um, and I do love this song quite a lot. Uh, my only hesitation about doing it is because I love it. And I'm like, I don't, I just, I, I don't know if I can, you know, pull it off. Um, but this is, you know, stripped down right to the core. What's actually happening in the song song uh, and this is the maiden voyage of the ukulele. So, wee! Uh, so, good night and go will be up shortly. Meanwhile, if you'd like to support the podcast, and it is always much appreciated, um, tell your friends, uh, do the stars on all the platforms like the uh, iTunes, the all any place you listen to a podcast. Uh, if you'd like to throw some financial support at the podcast, that would be amazing. Uh, top place to do that would be Patreon to join in as one of the patrons. Uh, and that's patreon.com slash Emily R. Davis. Uh, there's also PayPal uh, and Kofi. All of those links are in the show notes. So if you want to just link on over to any of those, it would be most welcome and deeply appreciated. Uh, and, you know, you're already doing the main support, which is to listen. So that's awesome. Thank you. And without further ado, I shall give to you um, Good Night and Go. Imogen Heaps, Good Night and Go. Say Good Night and Go.
Good night and 